It was, I believe, Harold Brown, who as Secretary of Defense said despairingly of the arms race with the Soviet Union, they build, we build, they build. Some of us may be forgiven for thinking that a similar standoff exists between the good guys on the internet and the bad guys. We read about new defenses and more and more talent flooding into the science of cybersecurity. Then in quick succession, we get two serious breaches, solar winds and the colonial pipeline. Can we win? Will it get better or worse? What can the government do? To answer these questions, we have two experts on cybersecurity who have just sent their book on the subject to the printers. They are John Savage, Professor Emeritus of Computer Science at Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island, and Derek Reveron, Chair of the National Security Affairs Department at the Naval War College in Newport, Rhode Island. John, is the cybersecurity situation improving or deteriorating? I think it's improving. But uh, we have been confronted with these major incidents that's drawn attention to the weaknesses that exist in our cyber computer systems, which is a good thing because we need, we have a lot of work to do. And what kind of work is that? We, we hear about all this work, all this talent which is being deployed in cybersecurity, and then we get Colonial Pipeline uh, uh, and other intrusions. So what work is that? Well, my view is that we have failed as a nation to prioritize all those assets that are, we consider valuable. And as a consequence, we've not exercised due diligence in uh, determining to what extent these systems that, on which we rely are, ro are robust and secure. As a consequence, we have not taken the steps necessary to ensure that they are secure. This is a, a project that uh, Derek and I uh, both believe we, is a whole of nation project. Everybody's got to be involved. The uh, individuals, the computer scientists, the security people, uh, legislators, regulators, et cetera. It's a major effort. Um, Derek, who are, the, who are the bad guys? Who is after us? Is it governments? Is it... Uh individual actors, uh, is it people, as it was apparently in the colonial pipeline, trying to get money, or I saw recently that the Irish uh, 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 health system was ransomed. Is there a big di difference between malice and ransoming? I don't, I don't think so, and answered your question. I think the answer is yes, yes, and yes. Um, there's a government official who likes to say, uh, you know, the United States does have our own big cyber rocks, but we live in the glassiest house, you know, in the sense that that we are connected as individuals in many different ways uh, through cyberspace that we often don't even think about it anymore. And I think the initial language that we had used, um, you know, when probably in the 90s, when we started getting the World Wide Web and, and greater access uh, through cheap, cheap computing. Uh, and now, of course, we all sort of walk around with supercomputers in our pockets. Uh, and we shop, we bank, we socialize all via online. Um, and that, we call it, right, just being ubiquitous, the internet and cyberspace. 
Um, and that gives a host of actors the ability to do malicious things. And so whether that's foreign governments, uh, you saw it really recently with the SolarWinds uh, hack that was um, you know, publicly revealed in December, uh, attributed to Russian foreign intelligence, the SVR, and the Biden administration took a series of actions related to that to include the expulsion of some suspected Russian intelligence officers uh, and imposing some new sanctions. Um, around the same time, you might have heard of uh, Microsoft Office uh, server uh, was compromised as well, uh, exposing you know tens of thousands of companies in the United States uh, around the world. Uh, you know, again through the Chinese government. Um, and then, you know, of course, organized crime. And in the case of uh, the ransomware attack that we're all talking about now as it related to the colonial pipeline, uh, ransomware is very common. Uh, we just often don't hear about it. And, and I think what sort of brings the colonial pipeline discussion to the fore is the magnitude of that ransomware attack had just on our individual lives uh, in, in terms of gas shortages in the southeast of the United States. Uh, and then really compelling the Biden administration to act in a more meaningful way to try to get at some of these issues that uh, my colleague John, you know, talked about. Uh, but most of what I, I think is designed to go forward is really up at the letter, federal level to secure national government uh, computers and systems. Um, that, but much of cyberspace is really private. And in the case of Colonial, it was a private; it's a privately held company, and so limited regulation involved as it comes to cyber. Did, uh, do you think that the uh, bad actors, John, who went after Colonial Pipeline, uh, knew how devastating their attack would be? I understand what they did is upset the scheduling. And so because you move a lot of different uh, fuels through a pipeline, you've got to know which one is moving. You don't want to put diesel into your automobile or jet fuel into your tractor, um, particularly. Uh, do you think they understood, or was that a, a, a unexpected consequence of their greed? I, I, I don't know for sure. I read the press reports on this and they say that this uh, organization, Darkside it's called, uh, was uh, chagrined to, to determine the impact of their uh, ransom attack. Uh, that's hard, you know, one can't necessarily trust uh, someone who is uh, that as malicious as this organization has been but uh, they apparently did shut down their operations. And, uh, but there is also a report that <clears throat> their, uh, some of their software had been compromised by some unknown agents. So it's entirely possible that they said they were going to withdraw, but really had no choice but to stop doing what they were doing because their software that they used to compromise <clears throat> computers and and uh, lock their files and demand ransoms was uh, maybe completely compromised itself by some unknown agent. Uh, the ransomware, isn't that in some way a function of cryptocurrencies and the ability to get money out seamlessly and secretly? That's right. Uh, Bitcoin, which was one of the earliest uh, electronic currencies, has been the currency that's been used by most of these uh, criminals. They exact a ransom and they insist that you pay it in Bitcoin. And that seems to work rather well, suggesting that Bitcoin is a viable yes. currency. And uh, apparently Bitcoin is now worth 
close to $60,000 per coin, <laughs> which is a, given that there is, it's not a fiat currency, no backing by any uh, uh, control currency. It's amazing. It's a speculative uh, uh, currency at the moment. But uh, enough for people to get their ransoms out and presumably right. uh, converted into dollars or pounds or, or whatever currency or they want. euros or whatever it is right. you, you, want it, you want it in. Um, that's very interesting. It also comes at a time when there is less actual cash in circulation, as more and more is done electronically. Uh, do you think they're converting it into cash or keeping it as Bitcoin? And this leads me to a question that is probably naive, but curious myself, maybe Derek would, would uh, answer it. And that is that uh, if you have Bitcoin, you, you have a very accurate system of in taking of knowing what's happened uh, because it's all electronic, it's all recorded. Um, doesn't that create a path to find the bad guys? Not, not necessarily. And let me let me defer to my computer science colleague, though. Um, you know, to in terms of how anonymous uh, that can be. Well, here's how blockchain works. Every uh, person who is going to uh, has uh, Bitcoin and needs to have an identity of some kind. And that's obtained by, by uh, creating a, uh, what looks like a random string. It's a result of a hash function, hashing uh, some data. And if you have, uh, when you transact with another party, for example, you as a person know with whom you're having that transaction, you know to whom you're sending that money. And that means you have to know that person's uh, uh, so-called secret identification. And that person's going to need to know yours as well. And as a consequence, you should have the ability to track uh, people, although there are, there are mechanisms even there for confusing the whole situation. You mix uh, uh, Bitcoin transactions so you can't always tell where they're going. But uh, there are technologies, uh, techniques that can be used to, I think, ferret out the identities of individuals. Yes. We, we're in, the, in America, we expect science to come to our rescue when we need it. <laughs> and sometimes it's done amazing things. I mean, creating synthetic rubber and the speed with which vaccines have come to market seems to me to be quite incredible. It's part of people often refer to these sorts of super efforts by our society, by our technological society, in terms of the space shot. Um, uh, do we need something equivalent? Do we need a national effort in cybersecurity to get us over some hump after which things will be better than they are today? Right. Well, you know, my view is that Americans are, are happy to have science come to its aid. On the other hand, they have a, a low uh, confidence and scientists. So, you know, I look at this and I remember we used to have in Congress uh, the Office of Technology Assessment. That was introduced in 1972. And uh, uh, in 1995, when Newt Gingrich was the Speaker of the House, uh, he decided that they didn't need that kind of uh, independent as technological assessment provided by OTA. And so it was disbanded. There's been some recent attempts to resurrect that, which I think would be a helpful thing to do. 
But you know, the, we're living in a world in which science is uh, is ubiquitous. We're heavily dependent upon all kinds of technologies, uh, yet we uh, seem not to pay enough attention to the experts. We need to consult experts when uh, we we uh, are going to address some of these technological and scientific problems that are well john don't feel too badly about scientists and engineers not getting the respect <laughs> they deserve uh this and you can say something analogous exists with journalists we're not liked or respected at all except when we need it like to tell right. us what's happening in the middle east or what's happening in a war zone or to reveal some particular act of government perfidy suddenly journalists are important and frontline people. Maybe that's uh, why we scientists and journal and some journalists such as yourself get along so well. Well, I, I, I'm not sure that's why, but it's nice of you to say it. Um, Colonial Pipeline was the first time in a long time that we felt the physical impact. We, the people, were deprived of fuel because of this attack. Most of these are financial attacks. The, Resolution is financial ransoms are paid, mm -hmm. etc. Or uh, security is violated. Our private data is on the market, but physically we are not affected. Now we've been physically affected, which brings up the subject of electric utilities and their huge vulnerability. Should they go down, um, you know, four or five days without gasoline? has been a burden all up the East Coast, but four or five days without electricity in the same area would be a catastrophe of major proportions. Closest thing we've seen to it was the deep freeze in Texas in February. Uh, how secure are the utilities? No, it, it's a good question. And you know, the Department of Homeland Security maintains a critical infrastructure list and certainly utilities are on that list. Uh, but I think it's important to, you know, to step back a little bit in, in the sense of understanding, you know, these are either privately held companies like colonial or publicly traded uh, companies. They're regulated, um, you know, they by the state and federal governments. Um, they're profit driven. They don't want to see the power go out. Um, and they, you know, as your, as your setup illustrates, uh, we, we know what it looks like. So whether it's bad weather, uh, squirrels are responsible for a number of uh, blackouts, um, getting involved in transformers. And, and so that remains, you know, the, the concern about a cyber attack on the grid is, of course, important. Um, but I would say, uh, it, you know, to John's earlier point, it, it's, a, it's an all hands event to make sure that doesn't happen. And there are many tests, whether it's that squirrel, uh, whether it's weather, uh, whether it's, um, you know, other, other sort of non-cyber events to understand what the impact is and then to build in that resiliency, that redundancy. So if a substation does go out, there, there is a backup. If transformers stop working, there are enough transformers on uh, available that they can be replaced. Um, and, but I, I think as we see sort of with, you know, the, the last 16 months, uh, the COVID pandemic, that initially hospitals and the medical community didn't have that built-in resiliency in terms of having, um, you know, backups for, uh, um, you know, personal protection equipment uh, and, uh, and, and respirators and other things because, right, in our profit-driven society, that's viewed as, as sort of, uh, I, I guess, unused capital or poorly deployed capital that expires at some point. 
Um, and this is where government can play a role in, in terms of regulating to ensure that those that are responsible for delivering these critical things we rely on, such as power, telecommunications, uh, banking, um, that there is resilience and there is redundancy. And I think one of the things to, to look for over the next year as the Biden administration gets its feet uh, kind of in this area is how they will attempt to use the buying power of the federal government to, to influence the vendors because we're all using the same software. Utilities, one thing I know about them, I've been writing about them for 50 years, is that they're hugely alarmed by cybersecurity. They get many hits every day. Uh, every utility chief executive I have spoken to, and I speak to quite a few of them, uh, and I say, what keeps you awake at night? And they say, cybersecurity. What are you doing about it? Then they get hazier, uh, either because they don't want to tell you because they're vulnerable, or they don't want to tell you because they don't know, or they don't want to tell you uh, because they don't know whether what they're doing will work. And they have very little idea of their own security, whether their threat level is at 60% or 80% or, or 99%. Um, it, it, it's a sort of mystery. There's a lot of, I hope it doesn't happen here, like the weather. Right. And, and, and that, and, and where we are in 2021, I mean, I would say to those executives, it's inexcusable. Um, so these are my, my, my personal views, but you know, I would say if I were in my, my Navy hat, it's commander's business to know who's who's responsible for your networks. Um, it's it's the leader's business to understand what are the plans. Um, it's the leader's business to make sure that the person responsible for cybersecurity for the company um, is regularly meeting with executives, that they are regularly testing their networks when it does go down, and they are regularly planning for networks to go down and to ensure they can provide that resilience. So. Um, I mean, I, I would, you know, very much sort of, and, and we'll see how it unfolds with Colonial Pipeline because it's so fresh. Will any of those corporate leaders be held accountable uh, in, in any particular way? Uh, because there is a public trust that gets violated by not giving due attention to cybersecurity. Uh, Derek, you raised the Navy and you're a Naval commander. Uh, how vulnerable are ships to a cyber attack? They're full of electronics, full of sensors. They're they're really electronic platforms now. There's so much that is large industrial or large commercial or large transportation. It's a, a, an electronic system managed by people. Uh, how vulnerable are ships? Yeah, I, I would say there's a subfield of cybersecurity for the maritime sector. And it's, you know, it's not only navies, but also merchant shipping. Um, and, you know, the U.S. is, uh, we're, we're a global trading country. Uh, we rely on global networks, uh, maritime and cyber. And so I, th I think everyone is, is vulnerable to some extent. Um, you know, the federal government and, and the Navy does have standards uh, as it relates to defense contractors and supplying equipment um, that's tested. But, um, you know, John and I, we're, we're finishing this book and, and um, we quote uh, Bruce uh, uh, Schneier, uh, where, you know, you don't really, it's, in John, maybe you can pick up the, the exact quote, uh, but, uh, you know, as it relates to security, everything is a cybersecurity problem these days. The uh, Colonial Pipeline attack was an attack against the billing system for the company. It was a ransomware attack, and the company apparently decided 
that they had to shut down all of their operations, including their operational technology. That is the technology that controls the flow of gasoline and jet fuel uh, through the pipelines uh, up the East Coast. Now, one should take into account that the electrical grid has both uh, billing, you know, the software and an operation, but it also has an oper operational technology and uh, that often goes under the name of SCADA, Supervisory Control and Data Acquisition. Uh, these systems are involved in the generation of electricity, the uh, distribution of the power across the country, et cetera. Those systems are very vulnerable and they're not getting the kind of attention that they deserve. Uh, we have a mutual friend in Joe Weiss, who is an expert in this area and who uh, frequently, regularly calls attention to that. Well, I'm glad you raised the subject of Joe Weiss. Uh, his, uh, I don't know if Derek is familiar with his work, uh, but John and I have been following it for some time, and it involves uh, mechanical controllers, uh, so-called logical controllers, things that move things, think things, push things around, uh, make things, the brains of motivated tools, if you will. And they're everywhere. They control everything. Uh, the father of all this was a man who I met briefly, but who uh, uh, started by getting a, a backhoe to do some plowing uh, hmm. remotely from a uh, from a computer. But he had already recognized the importance of mechanical controllers and the role they were going to play. Well, when computers got on top of mechanical controllers, you had a whole new dimension. And Joe Weiss, who John and I both have had dealings with uh, out in California, he maintains that it is the neglected part of the cybersecurity safety system that they, these controllers are vulnerable and that they can be affected without the normal alarms in the IT system uh, being aware. So there's a division in his mind and in mine, and I think in John's, you can tell us, John, between operation te operational technology and internet technology, IT and OT. Uh, John, would you like to speak to that? Yes, uh, the, uh, you, uh, you know, there are safety systems that are installed in many operational technology systems. Uh, for example, in uh, petrochemical facilities, which are based on SCADA, uh, there is software that's provided that supervises the, the supervisor, if you like, and it, it will stop operations or shut them down if it senses that there is a safety hazard that's arisen. Well, there are reports that uh, there are hackers who are now focusing on the safety systems and I've found a way to compromise them. So you can just imagine how serious a threat that would represent if there was a, we had a conflict between two major nations, each of which had control of, our, uh, on, of the other country's uh, critical infrastructure this way, they could wreak havoc and, we, and there could be a lot of damage to the civilian sector, which is a lack of a proportional response. And John, uh... What about, what's an analogy where something that is a permanent problem 
but which we live with and which has become less of a problem as time has gone on. Well, uh, you and I and Derek less so because he's uh, such a young person uh, lived with during our youth bank robberies were common. Oh, well, did the, you try it? Were you any good? No, I was. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I was. I didn't find it attractive. I wasn't interested. <laughs> but there is a joke that I love, which is that uh, it's about Willie Sutton. He was a famous bank robber in the 20s and 30s, and uh, famous, infamous for a much later, longer time. He was asked by a reporter, "Why do you rob banks?" being a famous bank robber. And he is reported to have said, well, that's where the money is. Uh, so it's humorous. But on the other hand, that's what, that's what motivates a lot of the uh, bad actors on the internet. My view though, is that we can fix our problems. And let me uh, illustrate it this way. Banking today is secure. Uh, we don't have the number of bank robberies, apparently that we did decades ago. And that's due to uh, focus on the problem. You know, vaults that are more secure, cameras that are constantly recording everybody entering and leaving a building, uh, a button under the, the cashier's table so that you can call for help, uh, and various other devices. We have to treat cybersecurity as a very serious problem, and we have to determine what's important to us and to what extent it needs to be protected. We have to assess risk and risk has to be uh, designed, defined appropriately. It's not just the probability of an event, it's the probability of the event weighted by the impact. And so if you have an outcome, for example, the, the, state, the existence of a state uh, or of a country that's at threat, it doesn't matter whether you think the probability of that event is small and therefore it can be ignored, you must address it. So I think if we take a comprehensive approach uh, and everybody contributes, we can actually bring this problem under control. And there's some level of cyber insecurity we're all gonna have to live with. And sure. so while John was talking, I was able to search FBI databases and I saw in 2019, there were over 2,400 uh, bank robberies in the United States. And I can't ever remember reading about a single one of them. And, and right. so, you know, it's, we, we've come a long way since 1934. Uh, and, uh, and, and maybe in 30 years from now, with these major cyber incidents, uh, they'll just be part of another crime statistic uh, bulletin we could pull up. That's okay. okay, well, that's, that's encouraging in an area that mostly isn't very encouraging. And as utilities and other industries, but especially utilities are becoming more and more digitized and are rushing into a digital future. Uh, we need them to be pretty secure because it's awful to be without gasoline, but you try being without electricity for several days. It is Much catastrophic. Uh, mm -hmm. That's our show for today. I thank these two very gifted men for coming along and sharing their genius with us. We shall be back next week. Until then, I'm of the old school. I wear a necktie, which I take off when nobody's looking, and I put on my mask, even though I've had two shots and am enjoying more mobility than heretofore. Until next week, all the best. Cheers. White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. We are there.